Aloha, ladies and gentlemen. Jeremy Vaney here with yet another edition of Wise Ask. And uh, this one I originally intended to just talk about the self, and then I thought, well, let's do listening. Let's talk about how we listen and then talk about the self. Uh, and I think I get to both of those. But then a funny thing happens. I actually get a guest. That's right. Somebody actually uh, chimed in on the Wisdom app, and we had a nice uh, conversation toward the end about out-of-body experiences. So this will be fun. Get ready, get set. Here it comes. Aloha, wise ask. <laughs> my, my makeshift show here on the Wisdom app. Uh, thank you for joining me. At this impromptu moment, um, I, I wanted to talk in this episode here about the self and about listening. Really, I wanted to talk about listening, but then I got a great question from, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher your, your name, and I'm not good at going back on the screen and doing two things at once, but I think Conscious Living Forever, I believe, was the name of the person uh, who asked, essentially... Um, why don't we have wisdom about the self? Conscious Living Forever asks a great question, which will be the springboard for my third episode now, so thank you for that. What is the cause of ignorance, lack of wisdom about self, which is the number one problem in the world? Um, there are numerous answers to this, and I think the most fundamental is that the self is a projection of the body. It is a defense mechanism against death and is for, uh, initially at least, seeking. And so when you take that uh, interior sense of being, which is about surviving and maneuvering in the external world, um, and you go internal with it, it necessarily creates divisions internally, conscious, unconscious, um, and then it fears the unknown, uh, which is death. It wants to live. Uh, it wants to protect itself. That's what it's there for, to protect. And so you become a mystery unto yourself. Which is a great question. Like, why are we ignorant about ourselves when, you know, it's us? Um, and I think these two subjects are related. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this and about listening. And um, by the end of it, I don't know how long this will be, maybe 15, 20 minutes, who knows. Um, if anyone wants to join me afterward and um, ask questions about that or talk about whatever, uh, come on in. So the first thing is uh, maybe we should start with uh, listening, actually. Because as you listen to these types of talks that we're going to have about human wholeness. Um, there's a type of listening that needs to occur for it to have any effect on you other than you learning or rejecting anything that's said, right? Um, because normally how we listen to things uh, is to do just that. We either want to incorporate wisdom within us, um, or we want to reject what we're hearing as garbage or whatever, you know, nonsense. And this, this means that we're not really listening to what's being said. We are listening, in effect, to bounce what we're hearing off of our own past, right? So if I say something that sounds like it's Eastern-ish in flavor, you may go, oh, that's Buddhism. I've heard that before. And pay no more attention to it. Or you may go, oh, that's Buddhism. That's really appealing to me. Maybe you're even a Buddhist, and you're like, I'm a Buddhist. I want to hear more. Um, but that's really not hearing what's being said. That's judging, prejudging its worth based on your interests to grow you. And what we're talking about here in, in this here show is about the dissolution of self, not the growth or the evolution of self, but the dissolving of self, the annihilation of self, which is what the brain does when through you, <laughs> the brain understands quite deeply what's actually being said here about the necessity of annihilating you, of annihilating the sense of self totally um, 
as that defense mechanism, as that seeker of more. Um, but that's not how we're, hey, once the brain gets that, then you're done. <laughs> you're turned off and then something miraculous takes place, which I kind of talked about in the first two shows. Um, but you may also hear me and hear the tenor of my voice and the way I speak and think like, oh, this is some uh, sophomoric bubbly jerk or uh, what does this guy know? He just sounds like a typical American or something, whatever it is. You know, I don't know, whatever one's prejudices are or, oh, he sounds like a nice guy. I should just trust him. Um, now, this isn't to judge any of this. It's just simply to say, be aware of it in yourself as it's coming up however you feel about hearing this voice and whatever these words are coming out of the mouth, um, be aware how you perceive. If you can be aware as you're perceiving, as you're listening, if you can be so self-aware that you're aware of all of this as you're doing it, um, that's really something, <laughs> you know, like that's ball game. Uh, because that is being conscious in the moment as opposed to, um, again, trying to uh, add or subtract whatever's being said here from your life. Um, and, you know, I'm sure I'll say more about listening in the future because uh, there's much more to be said and to constantly be reminded of until it sinks in that, right, we need to listen for the sake of listening not listen as a defense mechanism and not listen as uh, a way to grow ourselves or from the narcissistic standpoint of, Oh, I really uh, am in, in, engrossed in this and really want this for myself. I want to be that because I think when we talk about spiritual stuff, what has happened that I've seen through the years sort of is this changing over, um, People used to listen, and it's not hard set rules here. I mean, people still do listen in the ways that they do. Uh, it's not a complete changeover, but I would say the majority of, of the time, people used to listen like you would go to hear a, a guru-y type, you know, your Eckhart Tolle or Jiddu Krishnamurti or whoever, um, who's who's a sad guru, that's one people like. And you would go there to listen to them because they're saying something maybe that's different that you've never heard before or because you're genuinely seeking spiritual guidance or, um, you know, uh, transcendence or something along those lines, because, uh, well, we'll talk about this when we get into what the self is, but, you know, we create spirit, we, we created this hierarchy of spirituality. And so now we want to be higher and higher. Right. But it's always, back in the day, at least through the 1980s, was about listening and forming a community and, you know, being okay with being in the audience and hearing and taking what applies and what doesn't and all that. Um, but being that person, as opposed to being the person on the stage in the know, the so-called spiritual master. Now we want to be the master. It's like we've had decades, and plus the internet, uh, we've got all of this information at our fingertips. We've had decades of hearing it. We've got the information at our fingertips. And now we want to be the master. So we want to go on like a weekend spiritual retreat, pay a couple hundred bucks, maybe do a drug or plant medicine or something, and then claim to be it. We're no longer happy being in the audience. We want to be on the stage, right? And this goes hand in hand. Just look at this. Just look at this in ourselves, because this is it, right? This is what we are. It goes hand in hand with our isolation. We're less and less community-driven. We're less and less even going outdoors. And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about, again, since the advent of really video games and computers and all of that, TV, the enticement to stay indoors and then be on your computer now or on your phone, and be isolated and um, interact through like text on screen or some artificial means of, of communicating, it's, it does create uh, a, a false sense of autonomy. And when you live in a culture that tells you, I, me, mine, I, me, mine, me, 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 uh, that's what's preached at you as the thing to get you to buy stuff, right? Like, you're the star, baby. You're it. Aren't you amazing? Look at you. 
Look at you and your ability to make decisions. Uh, well, you know, after a while, that propaganda, you start to believe it. And then you want to be the YouTube guru, right? Um, but uh, so in a way, even though it, 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 I think it might even be getting harder to communicate this type of talk with people, perhaps not in this app. I mean, ironically, here I am on an app, you know, telling you this, but you know, this is, this is where we are now. This is the community you know, the town square. Um, and, and the other way also has trappings, right? Which is the obvious one is a cult, right? Like suddenly you might find yourself in a cult where what you thought was community and what you thought was some pretty good, like self-help advice or some pretty good spiritual guidance or whatever suddenly turns into pleasing that master and um, the peer pressure to not tell anyone and to, you know, divorce yourself from your family and this is your new family now and blah, blah, blah. All that shadow side goes with being in the audience. The, the shadow side, of, of course, of being the false master, there is no mastery of this really, uh, is, of course, that you're the cult. <laughs> you're the, you're the, the head of the cult, if you're lucky. Uh, so these are the problems, folks. This is what, this is what we are. And this is how we postmoderns, uh, if we pay attention at all anymore to spiritual talks and stuff, we've just got to be aware of what motivates us to do it and be honest enough with ourselves. Um, you know, it might be easier. I don't know that it is to tell someone who is purely a seeker for the sake you know, just going out there and listening to something as a seeker to stop seeking um, for the sake of not seeking anymore, not because you want to arrive at uh, some great enlightenment conclusion. That might be an easier conversation to have with the people in the 80s and earlier. I don't know that it is, since Judah Krishnamurti did say on his deathbed that nobody understood what he was saying in the way that they needed to. Um, but it seems on paper, at least that would be an easier person to have this conversation with than one who is purely listening to incorporate these ideas into their, uh, into their shtick, um, for self-empowerment and money or whatever it is, you know, whatever drives us. So again, in this little space here, we're going to be honest with ourselves. And when I talk about Things like yoga or meditation or self-help or these things um, in terms of, well, that's not what we do here. That is not to denigrate them. They have their place for sure. In fact, I think you have to be as whole a self as possible, uh, as healthy a person, that is to say, as possible, um, to be able to hear someone say, now it's time to put that person away. Now it's time for silence. Um, because the chattering mind, uh, is the unhealthy mind. I don't know if you've noticed this, but, um, even just through basic psychotherapy or self-help groups or whatever it is, you may have noticed if you've partaken that the clearer you are, the quieter you are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's no accident. Uh, so that's listening, at least for now. That's what I want to say about listening. And then about the self, why is it that we don't like the thing that I said in the last two episodes when I outlined about Kundalini and that energy that was not that, but came about because of it. And the whole I am experience of being nothingness, which is, you know, timelessly creating everything and creating and is everything. If that's not just me lying to you, or if that's not just me having my own experience that has nothing to do with you, if in fact that is universal, and I maintain that that is universal, um, why don't why wouldn't we just be born knowing that about ourselves? I mean, that's us, right? So why don't we know ourselves? Is kind of the question. And you know, one answer uh, from the point of view of time, you know, if you were to look back at the species, you would probably end up finding like a neurologist would probably end up finding something along the lines of, well, the self is a construct of the body that was originally patterned on uh, the brain cells themselves. And it's about projecting into the world to discover and to protect. And so that's what you do 
even though you don't need to physically do that anymore, to be protected in the same ways that we did before, that's the self-construct that we are left with nonetheless, is um, this ever-moving creature of time projecting out there, so on and so forth, in a defensive way. Um, And that will probably end up being true. But what's also true is inherent in the the no-thing experience, the nothingness or no-thing self-identity. I mean, I'm saying it's an experience because that's what it was for me, but uh, my... What I'm proposing here is that that's not just a state of mind, but a stage upon which we must live should the species make it. Um, and what you see in from that point of view is that so nothingness is consciousness per se. Uh, once it rec- like it's set up i when i described it it's set up like a timeline like first there's unconsciousness then consci- then it become unconsciousness becomes conscious of itself and in that moment there's a light and from that light explodes the universe and all of that is you right but that's not a real timeline that's just how it is expressed and understood by us from this perspective in time in timelessness everything is already now this, none of this is before, middle, and end. This is all happening right this moment. So, uh, what I would say about the cell, what I would say about that is essentially everything that can be expressed must be expressed, right? Um, now I would add that you don't have to be the one expressing it. <laughs> there is a way out, which is just stop and be silenced. Um, but if this is making sense to you, essentially all things must be expressed. And in this universe, we've got these rules, these laws, physics, whatnot. And so all things must be expressed that can be expressed within those boundaries. Uh, and anything that can't be expressed that way gets t- uh, is, is the imagination, right? Like you can imagine it and you can, it can come out creatively in other ways. So this, to my mind, does away with the notion of a multiverse that is like a multiverse of like every every decision you don't make, some carbon copy version of you in another universe is making that decision. No. No, the carbon copy universe is a planet and that planet is Earth and we are all making the decisions that the other is not making. And some of us are duplicating decisions. Um. And anything that can't be duplicated or done goes in the, uh, the imagination box, right? Um, so one thing that is expressed is going to be a partial self, uh, a not whole self. And that's just what it is. But you don't have to be the one expressing that anymore. Um, but when you hear that, again, you want to, the, the, the problem is we are, as a self-construct, what we truly are is a, uh, a defense mechanism against death. <laughs> like we're afraid of death. That, that's what motivates the whole freaking species, whatever culture you're from. And when I say afraid of death, I mean annihilation. I mean not complete non-existence because there are people who are like, well, I believe in an afterlife or I've had a near-death experience. And it's like, well, yeah. So those experiences tell you that you go on or those beliefs tell you that you go on so you can avoid your actual innate self nature as fear. And for those who are like, well, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic or whatever. And I don't believe anything. Well, that's your self identity. So in other words, when I say death, I'm not just talking about physical death, right? I'm talking about the self, the self needs to have an identity. And your self-identity can be as one who does not fear death. And that is how that self lives. That is how that self continues on and carries forward in the world. And is it possible to put an end to even that person? Right? And what happens then? When self-energy is not the controlling energy of the body, what becomes, quote-unquote, you? Uh you know, uh, so 
Truth <laughs> with a capital T. Um, spoiler alert, non-duality. Uh, so why are we in ignorance of ourselves? There are different, again, there, it's a bunch of different perspectives that you can put on it, but that's essentially, it's essentially because, you know, physically, our, our existence in this, in, as, as an extension of and a projection of the body as a mental construct roaming around the world, the body leading with this sense of self. Um, we are an expression of fear of annihilation, which on the initial level of that is fear of like physical death. And then beyond that, fear that we don't exist at all anymore. Um, I mean, that's it. And so, that creates the the ignorance, if you will, of the rest of it. Um, but again, you don't have to be that person. Uh, there's a way out. But to say that, uh, let's recognize, is an enticement and is a call to action where actually no action is what needs to happen. Nothing happening is what needs to happen. And this is where I start to sound like, a sage with a long beard and giant fingernails who lives in a cave alone. You know what I mean? Like, this is the problem. You become riddly. You, you become that person. And then, you know, uh, who wants to be that? <laughs> so, uh, gee, I hope that made sense. I hope it made enough sense, anyway, um, to at least give you a flavor of what we're going to be talking about uh, on this show. And I see that I already have a guest waiting. How cool is that? I'm going to. See if I can figure out how to do this without screwing it up. Uh, Matt, are you there? Yes, just joining in. Oh, wait. Three, two, one. There's a countdown. Look how exciting this is. Hello? Three, two, one. <laughs> hey. Matt. Jeremy, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I... I, I... I'm pretty sure I've heard you before, but I don't think I've ever spoken to you. Well, nice to hear your voice. Well, thank you, sir. Um, and I I actually, I didn't mean to, it's cool. Uh, I, I was going to talk to you, but I didn't actually mean to call. I was just setting down my phone, and I think my finger tapped the call button. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the lucky winner, Matt. So. <laughs> I'm the lucky winner. Um yeah, good stuff you were sharing there. Um, I wonder how much of that um, fear of death comes from, you know, maybe that that lizard brain, um, you know, or the 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 ego, or the the <clears throat> sort of primate brain, human self, um, that um, need for survival. Um, and I also wonder how that plays into, um, the ego itself. And a lot of times in the, this spiritual path and a lot of things, um, people talk about like conquering the ego or death of the ego. And, and, and a lot of times I think that the ego kind of, um, resists spiritual growth because maybe it's afraid of being annihilated. And uh, maybe it is sort of um, a different little animal, you know, a function of the brain as opposed to us being dual nature of, of brain and spirit incarnated in, in one body. Mm -hmm. um, then it was also interesting, too, about because um, I've touched on this myself um, in actually an out-of-body experience of um, actually the concept of. Um, <clears throat> annihilation of the solar spirit itself, uh, like being recycled. So mm -hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts on some of those things? Well, um, I think it's uh, my question to anyone who says, you know, I'm here to, we, what this is about is conquering the ego or quieting the self or any of that is the natural question is, well, then who's doing the conquering? Who's doing the quieting? Are you not that? Uh, so I think what we, and as you're saying about like, um, uh, there are people who are resistant to, uh, I don't know, 
spiritual, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, metamorphosis, transformation, something. I think they're just flip sides of the same coin of a lot of the people who are for it, which is just however you think about yourself is what you want to maintain. Like however you really, truly. So if you really, truly believe yourself to be non-spiritual or whatever, then that's likely what you're going to try to maintain in life. And if you're someone who believes that you deserve more or are more, and you're going to go out there and, and find it, um, then that's also you in action. So in other words, there is no self that is divorced from those characteristics. They are you. So there is nobody who's really growing. There is nobody who's really stagnating. There is no ego separate from you. In fact, uh, the revolutionary uh, thing, discovery to make here, I think, is that you are thought. Because a lot of what we're told is that we're not our thoughts. In fact, a lot of meditation is about uh, watch your thoughts as they go by and try not to let them, you know, uh, control you or grow too much or whatever. All of that sort of controlling stuff. It's like, well, but wait, you are thought. And actually, if in a moment of an extreme, extreme anger, extreme joy, extreme love, extreme jealousy, if you can have the inkling in that moment to realize that you are that, there is no you who's feeling that way. You are that feeling. You are that doing. That's a revelation that can actually shake you. You know what I mean? And I think it's those kinds of revelations because we're talking about transformation that is instantaneous and in a snap of a finger, as opposed to like you learn about it and you grow with it. And then you go, Oh, that's because that's what we do with school. And that's what we do with everything else. So why wouldn't this be that way? And um, this isn't that way because it's not, it's literally not a thought construct and all of those other ways of growing and learning are thought constructs. And I would, uh, I would even wonder like, so you're, uh, well, you said out of body experience, not in your death experience, right? Right. That you've had, what, can you share any about that? What was the, what was the feeling? Uh, because I've talked to a lot of people who've had out of body experiences and some of them, um, seem to know for sure that they were out of their bodies. They were looking at things in the room and all that. And some of them seem to sort of indicate that, that they weren't sure if it was a perceptual shift or literally they were out of their bodies. Can you clarify that for from your perspective? Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that um, one thing um, that I, like to say when I um, talk about this topic is that um, some people just like universally call them dreams. Uh, I, and that's understandable, but I don't think it's adequate because so what I call them are, you know, experiences that happen when you lay down at your, in your bed at night and go to sleep. I think there's a variety of those experiences. I, I think that some are the basic uh, psychological uh, processes of processing the day's information down to be stored into the subconscious for later use. I think there's some um, that I could call symbolic dreams. Um, certainly there's um, lucid dreams, which are dreams, of course, I'm sure you're familiar where, and I don't know if you've experienced them, where you become awake in the dream and aware that you are dreaming, um, yeah. which is, which doesn't usually happen. Um, I think there's another type of nighttime experience you could call astral projection. Um, and that occurs, um, and I've experienced that many, many times. Um, and that occurs, you know, first of all, on your, in your astral body. And second of all, when you leave your body and, in an astral travel, you're traveling in the astral realm, which is one particular realm of reality, but there's many realms or dimensions to reality. And then um, there's the term out-of-body experience. Um, now, that's a more encompassing. So you could say that an astral travel is an out-of-body experience because you're out of your body. You have an experience. Um, but there's other out-of-body experiences where you're not actually in your astral body, 
um, you're in a different uh, energy body, like your etheric body or your spiritual body or your soulic body, and you're traveling above the astral realm, uh, which taking time out of the equation, spiritually speaking, um, it would be the fourth dimension. Uh, and then, but above that is the fifth dimension, which is the etheric realm. So if you're traveling in the etheric realm, you're traveling in your etheric body. So you can have an out-of-body experience where you're having an etheric journey and, and things look very different there. Beings look very different there. Um, the realms look very different there. The experiences are very different there. And there's other levels and dimensions uh, beyond that, um, many of them. And I personally have experienced um, a, a plethora of those um, over decades. I, I had my first out-of-body experience actually when I was one and a half years old. And that was a, an astral projection. And I, I remember it as clear it was as if it was yesterday. And uh, floated out of my crib as a baby and, and flew through the window and went down and saw my, my parents and um, the company they had over uh, sit around in their lawn chairs having cocktails and cigarettes. Uh, and it's because they woke me up and I was curious. I'm like, what are they laughing about? What's What's so exciting going on down there? And I just, because of my desire to know, I just went to go check it out. And my body wasn't really a, a limitation. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, the experience you asked me that I mentioned about extinction, I had an experience and I, I was way beyond astral and, and way beyond probably even etheric into an uh, a, a probably much higher level and I arrived at a place um, sort of you would just say space a uh, black empty space but I, I had approached this you know what I could only describe as looked like a sun um, a big ball of light a sphere um, but it was enormous it was much bigger than our sun. Either that or I was closer to it. And um, and I got up uh, in this proximity to it and I had kind of two thoughts going on. And one was to go into it, um, like, you know, keep moving, project myself, move myself into it. And that thought was that I would um, go through it and come out the other side into something else, a, a, a different universe, a different dimension, etc. cetera, um, almost uh, a pathway to ascension. Mm -hmm. um, and then this other thought came into my head and said, oh, no, do not do that. <laughs> you will cease to exist. That's like hurling yourself into the middle of a volcano. It, it will incinerate you. And um, I was like, huh. And so obviously this seems like a pretty major decision. And I, I didn't know what to do, right? Like one is like this sort of ascension and graduation and, and glorious thing that I'm going to go on to the next level. And the other is, no, that's going to be the end of you as an individual, the end of your soul, um, and et cetera. And the thing is, I couldn't tell which of the two thoughts, or they were more like voices in my head. I couldn't tell which one was giving me like good guidance and direction and speaking the truth, and which one was like whispering a lie mm -hmm. in my ear. Um, and um, and so I, I couldn't make up my mind and, and just to, to finish this story, I'm not, I'm going to leave part of it out, but, um, luckily, uh, a being, a very big, powerful being that's a friend of mine and been a friend of mine, um, came up on the scene a distance away and basically, uh, 
got my attention and communicated with me telepathically and said, basically, uh, come here, uh, come over here, uh, step away. And uh, it was something, and basically, you need to come back with me. And, um, and that was pretty much it. it. It was sort of like, so, so the decision was made for you. Um, no, I, I still decided whether to listen to that being, but like I said, that was a being I had known and trusted for decades. So I, I took their counsel and advice. Um, so and what I, I well, I was just going to ask, I, I, what, what is the feeling when you're in a state like that? I mean, it doesn't sound like you feel fear or anything. Is that something that you got over or was there never fear? I, I don't know. There was never fear. Well, maybe a low level of fear. I, I would say the best feeling I can describe is just confusion. Um, hmm. wasn't, I wasn't particularly afraid to like, like when you feel fear here. I didn't really feel fear in that way. I wasn't afraid. I, I was confused. Um, when there was the the guidance that, um, oh no, don't do that. If you do that, you'll cease to exist. That kind of generated something akin to fear, but I didn't really feel it. It was more an intellectual thing. Um, and uh, I, I will say I just have this knowing somehow, some way, that at some point in time, I don't know, this lifetime, another lifetime, whatever, I will actually be faced with the same decision being faced in the, I'll be in the same place and I'll have to make that decision either to go into it or not go into it. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how that's going to come out. Well, Matt, it looks like you're going to get cut off here, so feel free to call back in or whatever this is uh, if you want to. If not, I'll just say thank you for sharing that, and then I'll uh, riff on it for a bit here if I can. I don't know. Um, I, I would love to hear more about that because I've I've not had those types of experiences. Um, I mean, you know... In fact, I guess what I'd like to ask is because you had mentioned lucid dreaming, would you consider that to that be for that to be an extension of lucid dreaming? Because certainly in that sense, I've had those types of experiences, but nothing that I would call um, an out of body experience. Although when I had the big I am experience coming back in to myself from it, I certainly saw like blood and bones and crap in my own body as I was coming back to back into myself. Uh, so I don't know if there's that, <laughs> but, uh, but I, as far as I, I know, I haven't had, um, big experiences going off into other worlds and stuff like that. Um, but I find that interesting. The idea of there being, um, you've got a choice. You can either keep tooling around this bunch of crazy worlds or you can be annihilated, you know, like here's your choice. And, um, this puts me in mind of something that I didn't really want to talk about for a number of episodes, but here we are. Let's talk about it, which is the idea that there, uh, you know, the universe, let's say, let's say that what you experience, I, I mean, this is just in my own words, right? So this is, there's no hard and fast. I'm telling you a fact and, you know, you've got to frame it this way, but I would frame it like those realms that you're talking about are sort of like death realms. Um, and by that, I just mean they're the interiority of the universe so that the universe at large, just as we are alive and self-aware, earth is alive and self-aware and the universe is alive and self-aware and whatever else in between. And, uh, you know, so when we talk about like archetypes, and gods and um, even these cosmic realms that we say are however many densities tall, uh, we're talking about the interiority of the universe, imaginal realms with formless awarenesses that are, you know, that doesn't mean they're not real in some sense in the same way that, that saying that 
the sense of self is a product of the body doesn't mean that you don't feel alive and I don't feel real and all that, but that they are, in essence, thought constructs because the universe is thought. And the question is, which I feel like that experience gets to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, is, is the notion of, okay, you can keep going with the thought stuff. You can keep diving into these realms and exploring and all that, or die. And what happens when you die? And when I say die, I just want to make it very clear here, folks. We're not talking about suicide. We're not talking about physical death. We're talking about the death of self, the, the quote-unquote ego death, um, the for real version. So what happens when uh, you're no longer you, when you're no longer of the universe in this time stream, uh, in these thought constructs, um, what happens? <laughs> like, this is the option. And that is real death, because the answer is, you don't know. It's a mystery. You haven't done it. And that's the warning, right? Like, that's the warning we all feel. That's the fear of the unknown is is exactly that. We don't know um, if our little hero's journey here and our sense of control and all of that uh, kicks the bucket when we do. <laughs> and to me, this is that the same version of that. It's fractally the same for one who, um, uh, you know, has out-of-body experiences and has learned, or it sounds like you were born with inherent knowledge or inherent being able to do this, of um, exploring broadly this, you know, bunch of ecosystems, let's call them, these formless awareness ecosystems, if you don't like Death Realm. Um, it's hard to talk about this stuff because we don't really have the words for it, and anything you say kind of puts a connotation on it that you might not mean, um, or at least for me. So I apologize if I'm creating contexts that don't necessarily exist uh, in just trying to describe these things. Um, but anyway, I hope that makes sense because that's how it makes sense to me anyway, is that like, right, you're someone who is able to not just like put on, tie your shoes up and walk in the world, but apparently you can tie up your, your ethereal shoes and jet on out of here. And so for someone like you, how do you, if the death of self is the thing that needs to happen for us to be whole, how does someone like you, who is able to go far and wide like that, how are you supposed to be able to recognize the question of the death of self when um, you already know that this self can be more, can go out there, can leave the body even? which seems eternal, right? Seems like a forever thing. Seems like um, you get to take you with you when you go. Um, but if you're taking yourself into, um, you know, realms that are just sort of formless realms of the universe, what happens if there is something beyond that uh, parallel to it, a parallel stream, let's say, that we also need to be dipping our toes into? Um, because for all intents and purposes, it, it must feel as though you're doing that already. And if you're not within those realms, does your friend here come to you and go, yeah, that's death right there. This thing that you thought was like you as a spirit or a soul doing out of body stuff. Um, that's something different, uh, surprise. And so now you've got this other option here. I think that's a tough um, pill to swallow because, and and frankly, I mean, I, I've only spoken to you here for like 15 minutes, but you seem to have a pretty good head on your shoulders. Like you don't at least appear to be, uh, uh, you know, ar arrogant about your situation or, you know, delusional or narcissistic. And so benefit of the doubt goes to you, pal, <laughs> uh, that that you are, in fact, who you say you are and comfortable with it. And, um, so I just wonder, like, if you get too comfortable being that person, does someone come along and go, well, this ain't it. Um, you know, you can master exploring these realms in the way that various indigenous cultures have explored dream time, um, or gone out of body and, and all of that. But is there in fact, not even more, like, is there more, but 
in the sense of like something else we have to achieve, but is there some, is that a cocoon through which we must still chew to become the butterfly? It's like, we think we've become the butterfly because you're having these out of body experiences and in, in going to these other seemingly other dimensions. But is that still in the cocoon? Is that like the HD television on the cocoon keeping you in the cocoon? You know what I mean? Which isn't to denigrate them or say that they're bad or wrong or anything like that. It's just simply like, oh, right. We all still need a reminder that uh, we got to chew our way out of whatever our cocoon is. Um, and this goes for people who have chewed out of their cocoon in some sense. Uh, because what I found with me, at least, in having these hoity-toity sort of spiritual experiences and all of that is... Um, that yes, even though you deal with your psychological baggage, it still wants to cling to you like an old ghost haunting you. It wants to come back because you've got to come back to something, right? So you come back to you. You can't not know what you now know. You can't not be different. But there's also a sense of decay that comes with coming back to, you know, being a being in time who has experienced timelessness. Um the same decay that everyone goes through. Uh, and you can pretend that you're not that, but that's when you become the crappy guru type, the, the person who abuses people who has had these experiences, maybe starts talking about them altruistically at first, but then something happens and the narcissism takes over. And then you want more and more and more and power and control and all of that. And, um, and the thing that's tricky about that also is, and I should have said this, I guess, maybe up front, but like the language used to express truth is also the language used to uh, abuse it. Like we share the same language with the people who would steal it from us, right? So when you talk about like, um, I mean, people love shades of gray. People hate judgments. But when you talk in a way that sounds judgmental, but which is really discernment, or when you say, for instance, you know, there's truth and there's everything else. You either are it or you aren't. Like those types of extreme uh, extremes. We also see this in cult language, right? Where they say, look, you either, if, if you don't get what the master is saying here, there's a problem with you. It's your fault because the message is perfect, right? Like that's the abusive way to say it. And, uh... So it's weird. It's like, I don't know how to get out of this problem of language. Um, but there it is. <laughs> there's truth and there's, there's everything else. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I won't, um, I promise I won't uh, hypnotize you with that <laughs> and ask you for money or whatever. Um all right. I'm hoping that this made some sort of sense. If it didn't, if this sounded like a bunch of babble and is poorly articulated, I will say one, I am tired and I apologize, but two, it is kind of hard to talk off the cuff about this stuff. And so let me know if anything is confusing um, so that I can uh, try to better elucidate next time and maybe try to choose my words carefully beforehand. And because I know that sometimes going off the cuff, it's like, well, I know what I'm talking about and everyone else will too, but now it doesn't really work that way. So yeah, let me know. Um, and I don't know if anyone, I, I, I don't know what parting words of wisdom I can give here, except um, just be aware. I want to go back to listening because it all comes back to the basics. Like we can talk about our interesting experiences and, you know, Matt with the out of body, me with the Kundalini or even the so-called alien abduction or whatever, you know, things I may not even get to on this show. But as you're listening to this, what is it that's attracting you to it? Why are you listening to it in the first place? Is it because you want campfire stories? Is it because you relate to it? Is it because like, what is it? Because I want to try to get away from, um, those as an enticement, like talk about them where it illuminates a subject or it is important to highlight something. But in terms of an enticement to come and listen, I don't want it to be about um, distractions, right? Like for me, that's, 
That's what they become when we talk about this stuff, even though they're the enticement, right? Like this is the irony too, or the paradox, maybe the paradoxical irony is like the thing that brings us to a talk like this, to listen in the first place, the thing that, you know, you're seeking is the thing in the way. The seeker is in the way of truth. And the second that the brain gets this, the seeker dissolves. And if there is such a thing as truth, truth be there in, you know, lighting the darkness. And so it is here, right? Like you come maybe wanting to hear these types of stories. Um, and then the person telling you the story says, okay, there you go. But it isn't about that. Those are a distraction. And the reason that those are a distraction is because those um, are after the fact. If they don't apply to your life now, then they apply after the fact. Um, and maybe I'll pick up with what that really means uh, in the next uh, little bit of episode here. All right. Thank you, everyone, for bothering with this in the first place. And I think while you're here, let me just tell you that I think when next I do this, will be Tuesday, maybe at, let's say, 11-ish, uh, 11.30, let's say 11.30, uh, Hawaiian time. So, which I think is what? I don't know what that is. 11, 12, 1, 1.30 uh, Pacific time, and then 2, 3, 4.30 uh, Eastern time. I have no idea what, what time it is where you live. <laughs> You know, just look up Hawaiian time <laughs> and uh, 1130. Okay, Tuesday. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Again, uh, don't be strangers and, and feel free to um, be a guest on the show or come talk to me in any way you feel comfortable. All right. Take care.